0: This podcast is brought to you by AJ Bell and Shares Magazine. Shares Magazine is published by AJ Bell Media, part of AJ Bell.
1: Hi, welcome back to Money and Markets. I'm Dan Coatesworth, and with me this week is Danny Houston. Hi there, Danny.
0: Hi, Dan. It has been another bonkers week for markets. We're going to be talking through. A slew of profit warnings, including from BQ owner Kingfisher and fashion retailer Quiz.
1: So while we're talking fashion, there's a deal afoot foot as Fraser's is rumoured to be offloading its misguided business to Chinese retail giant Sheen.
0: We'll also be discussing rents, which have jumped at a record pace. Changes to auto enrolment, which means anyone over 18 will be able to start saving into a workplace pension and Walt Disney's plans to splurge billions of dollars on its parks.
1: Now, we'll also hear from Neil Shah, who's Director of Research at Edison, about the lack of IPOs on London markets and what he thinks investors should watch out for as we head into the rest of the year.
0: So, not much going on then. Um, We're recording this on Wednesday lunchtime, which is ahead of interest rate decisions by both the Federal Reserve and the Bank of England. And I think it's fair to say that for the first time in a while, there is a real sense of confusion on markets about exactly what is going to happen, especially here in the UK after today's inflation numbers. I mean, Dan, I don't know about you, but looking at the way that fuel prices have been climbing, looking at the price I've been paying at the pump, when I was listening to economists a couple of days ago discussing what they expected, it seemed pretty nailed on that inflation would jump up a bit, but that hasn't happened. So what we've seen instead is food inflation actually beginning to slow. We've had inflation prices in hotels falling, and also usually at this time of year we see airline tickets going up in price, and actually they've come down. And, And all of those things combined have kind of offset the impact of those price rises at the pump. And I think the really important thing here is core inflation. Um, There have been the expectation that that would stay pretty much where it was. And actually, that's gone down significantly to 6.2% from 6.9%. And of course, when you strip out those volatile things, food and fuel, that is the number that the Bank of England, and all those members of the Monetary Policy Committee will take a look at when they discuss their decision whether or not they should hike interest rates. And I was watching um, the numbers just shoot down this morning, Dan. So yesterday, in fact, 6 o'clock this morning, market expectation was 80% nailed on. There's going to be a quarter percentage point hike, the 15th straight hike within 10 minutes of those inflation numbers coming in it was a 50-50 split and i think it was already expected to be a pretty sparky meeting um, quite a difficult decision and i think all of us would have been thinking it'd be quite good to be a fly on the wall of the mpc meeting but now i think even more so they've got a balancing act well yeah i think it's
1: i mean if you i think it's important to to look at the energy um, sort of factor here with inflation, I know that there they exclude it on that measure, but um, you know, oil price above ninety-four dollars a barrel earlier this week. There's definitely still pressures on these consumers and businesses here. So um, while, while it's it, it's obviously positive to see inflation sort of the, the rate of inflation easing, um, I still think there's there's plenty of things for people to worry about, um, and it's not. You know, not particularly, uh, you know, we've reached this point of saying, okay, it's all going to be fine from here on in. Now, as we record this, UK stocks are are sort of shot up because this is obviously the market's um, sort of interpretation of this latest inflation figure is that it's, you know, we're at the peak here. Um, It's good for, you know, just think of all those companies in sort of the property space, your house builders, um, you know, builders, merchants, that sort of thing where, you know, people are sort of thinking, well, demand for their services is going to fall. Um, because affordability factors with, you know, for example, buying a house or if you're borrowing money, you know, the interest rates keep going up. It's a lot more things. But I just think that that's not suddenly going to be, okay, it's all fine and dandy from here in. So I think obviously next week we'll be able to discuss what the the Bank of England said. Obviously by the time you hear this this edition of the podcast, you'll already know, but um, we'll bring some analysis next week's show to see um, what might happen next
0: and i think it's also important to say that even though inflation has fallen even though it was a surprise and it it must be seen as good news because of course it, prices rising at the rate that they were rising out was just excruciating for so many people but inflation is slowing we're not seeing prices come down. They're just not going up as fast as they were. And there was a really important forecast from the OECD, which reckoned that UK inflation is going to even out at 7.2% over the year. And that's the highest of any G7 country. And that just demonstrates really the precarious situation that we are in. But with these interest rate hikes... This is having a huge impact on people's disposable income. And there was a figure which was um, released this morning by Witch talking about half a million households heading towards a Christmas present of a brand new fixed rate mortgage deal. And just at a time where it is the most expensive part of the year, people are going to have to pay hundreds of more pounds every month for their mortgage payments because most of them will have fixed at ultra low levels. And even if we are starting to see mortgage rates come down a bit, in fact, there are some um, sub 5% five year deals now to be had. Competition is increasing, but it is still going to be painful.
1: I think whatever decision that the MPC makes, it'll undoubtedly be sort of. Uh, Considering the state of uh, you know companies in this country, and I think it's fair to say that there's cracks appearing in the corporate world. Um, you know, we had uh, earlier this week. I don't know. There was a. It just felt like that. that you know, there was a huge number of companies issuing really depressing news. Um, plenty of profit warnings, and this isn't just a UK thing. Actually, we've been seeing this over the last few months in various parts of the world, particularly in the US as well. And and it all comes down to, to one thing. Demand is weaker here. You know, we're seeing that companies are sort of loath to spend money in their business or they're delaying spending. because course, that, that has a knock-on effect to um sort of business-to-business customers. So we had a, there's a little tiny company that does training for 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 coding called North Coders. Um, it, it came out with a really depressing update and its share price sank on the news saying that. Um, All its clients were just holding off from committing to to new training things. S4 Capital, it's one of these advertising agencies. It keeps saying tech companies in particular are are just not spending on um, advertising as expected. The B&Q owner, Kingfisher, is not having a very good time in Poland or France, um, now everyone was saying that you know in tough times we quite often you know find solace in a, in a glass of wine or, or <laughs> Naked Wines, the 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 alcohol retailer, not doing very well. Safe Style, which sells doors and windows, not doing well, and Quiz, which sells women's clothing. Again, it's sort of saying that you know the, the backdrop is not favourable. So when you've got this situation, all these companies are saying like. We're not confident that we're not seeing our customers spending as much. And then if you look overseas as well, names like Best Buy, Dollars General, um, Foot Locker, they're they're saying the same things. You have to wonder, thinking, okay, well, yes, we're seeing signs of inflation falling, but the damage is clearly being felt in these companies. And so I think over the next couple of months, the next round of earnings seasons. Uh, earnings reporting season it's just not i think you have to brace yourself for some pretty cautious at the best gloomy um sort of at the worst sort of sentiment for all these companies here
0: I think there's a, a little bit, and um, I was talking about this with Neil Shah, um, which you'll hear the interview later on, that there's a little bit of the boy who cried wolf in investors' minds, because, of course, the expectation was that by this point we would be in a recession. It might have been a shallow recession, but it would have been recession, no doubt, and we've escaped that, and companies have delivered relatively okay um, earnings updates, even though we've been looking at the outlooks and thinking, uh, hello, there are warning signs flashing here. But maybe it is that investors are sort of thinking, well, it, it's blown over once, it's just going to blow over again.
1: Yeah, I think I think there's definitely a sign that um, you know, investors perhaps not realizing it can take some time to all these sort of negative things to work their way through the system. Um, and perhaps expectations have been Bit too high this year. I mean, certainly, you know, at the start of the year, it seemed to be everyone's doing okay. Um, Cracks are definitely appearing. And, you know, I I just think that um, you've got a handful of companies on the stock market doing incredibly well, like Nvidia um, and, and Amazon. If you take those out of the equation and just generally look, you know, there's there's plenty of businesses which aren't doing that well, uh, and and perhaps if you look at your investment portfolio, you you might think, okay, well, ooh, I wish it was going up a bit more. I certainly do with mine. Um, <laughs> and and so yeah, I'm just saying it, 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 it. You might feel that the the sort of the, the overall sentiment is um, people get a bit more excited because there's signs that the, that central banks might be you know, at the top of their interest rate rise cycle, that doesn't mean to say everything is all well and good for companies, particularly, you know, as they're going to report their next sort of round of earnings.
0: Let's stick with the UK for now, Dan, um, and talk about, uh, it's an interesting move actually by Fraser's Group to dump, misguided, the online fashion retailer, it snapped it up less than a year ago, and you know, up until this point, Fraser's has just been adding to its inventory. It's been spotting wounded um, companies and adding them to its massive empire. But now, it, it's is it a strategic move, or have they found that they bought something that just doesn't fit? Do you think?
1: i think it's i think it's something bigger than that but just to stress this is this is not a done deal it's just media reports that um phrases is going to sell misguided but um obviously he bought it out of his administration and that's not the first time it's done this as you as you sort of say um i actually think it's it's kind of like it's you know it's doing a part it seems to be it could be doing a partnership deal with sheen and simply selling it uh you know misguided it's almost like a, um, a token um, token deal that you've got to look at the bigger picture. And you know, I would say the first thing to do is look at what Sheen's been doing recently. And I guess for those who, who are listening who don't know it, it's a Chinese company. It sells clothes very, very cheaply. Um, the idea that you can get stuff from ASOS and Boohoo cheaply, well, this place is even more of a bargain. And then lots of people sort of, are, around the world are ordering from it. You might have to wait a couple of weeks for it to um, to be shipped over from China, but the products are cheap. Now, Danny, I'm sure from previous conversations, I think you, you said that perhaps your, your daughters are, are big fans <laughs> of this. Um, how much Sheen stuff have you got in your house?
0: Oh, it seems pretty much every week that there is a parcel which is being delivered from Sheen because it is, it's pocket money, friendly fashion. And it is the stuff that my teenage daughters want to buy. And something which they have done recently, which has made me more amenable to buying this stuff, is that when you are returning things that don't fit, unlike some other companies of this ilk, you don't have to send them all the way back to Hong Kong or China. You can send them back to somewhere in the UK to be processed. And that makes returns much cheaper and I imagine that for Sheehan, having the logistical expertise and, and all of that stuff that Fraser's has at his fingertips is probably something which looks quite enticing. So what you say there about a potential some kind of potential partnership, I think raises some interesting thoughts.
1: I think if you if you look at what what Sheen did last last month in America. Um, there's a group called Spark, and they own um, Forever 21, which is it's one of the many you know, cheap place to buy clothes. It's kind of like an American version of um, H&M or, or like Primark or something. So uh, Sheen and Spark d- took an equity stake in each other, um, and they've done a deal which looks like it will be that you can you can take your Sheen products to return anything you need to return, you can go to one of Forever 21's US stores. Um, to get it processed. Forever 21 might be selling its products on Sheen's platform. Um, obviously, gives it taps into 150 million online users there. So uh, looking at the sort of speculation, uh, to me, that's the blueprint for what phrases might be doing. So kind of sell misguided to Sheen, you know, saying, okay, here you know, we're serious about working with you. Um, potentially take an equity stake, and this is pure speculation on my part. Use Sheen's platform to sell some of um, Fraser's products let Sheen customers return goods via Fraser's stores, of which it is perhaps best known for owning Sports Direct. So, um, to me, it, it all seems to add up. We've got, just got to wait to see if an actual deal is is coming through. But the, the fact that they did this thing in 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 America with with Forever Twenty One with um, Sheen did suggests that they, you know, this is the direction of travel. They clearly want to be much bigger name in these countries. Um, and this is this is a way to do it.
0: The returns thing is really interesting because H&M has become the latest retailer to say that it's going to charge for returns. Because of course, you know, online shopping, if you are someone, and I'm going to hold my hands up here, who is wanting to buy an outfit, and they're not sure of exactly the size, and they're not sure of exactly the style that they want, if it's going to go with the shoes that they've got, then you order quite a lot of stuff in and then you send everything back but the one thing that you want to keep. And it's been free to do, but of course that costs companies a huge amount, particularly because while that stuff is out with a customer who has ordered it but then is intending to send it back, they can't do anything with it. They can't sell it to somebody else and it takes time for it to be processed through warehouses. So I think this sort of omni-channel retailing is becoming more and more the way to go. So you can order online, you can return to a store. It's a much quicker thing to do. And uh, that's why we had an update from um, British Land a couple of days ago saying that their retail park rental sector is going great guns because, of course, retail parks, you've got parking, there's a, a huge range of, of different stores there which appeal to a whole load of different customers. So I think it, it's it's an absolutely fascinating space and I think absolutely that deal is certainly one to watch if it happens.
1: Now, given that we're talking about deals, we know that Disney is in the market to shed some of its assets, and there's a rumour that uh, a deal to sell um, some stuff related to ABC is is about to be announced. Denny, what, what's going on there?
0: Yes, so Bob Iger returned to Disney um, with, I think it's fair to say, something of a fire in his belly and a determination to really streamline Disney because it's absolutely huge. I mean, I don't think people understand exactly what Disney is made up of. And it's got a whole load of stuff from studios and theme parks to music production companies all the way through to a lot of linear television channels, including ABC News, the FX channels and National Geographic Network, ESPN. Some of the stuff is co-owned with people. Some of the stuff it owns outright. And we know that linear television has been losing Audience Losing market share, losing advertising So it doesn't seem too far off the mark That that would be something that Disney would look to get rid of Because it it doesn't sort of add much to the Disney empire It's not like filmmaking, streaming that film And then creating a theme park around that film Is part of that, it's sort of separate And Byron Allen, who... um, best known as a comedian, actually, now a a very successful American businessman, um, is reported to have offered $10 billion to snap up ABC, FX, and National Geographic networks. Um, There was a lot of concern, particularly among staff at ABC, that maybe that would lead to job cuts and less money being available. Of course, Disney's got incredibly deep pockets, and there's a lot of cash which is splurged on ABC. But we know that Disney is looking, as I say, to slough off a few of those rough edges, potentially there's a lot of speculation mounting that potentially it is trying to shape itself into a nice, neat little ball, which could then be taken over by somebody else, somebody bigger. I'm thinking something fruit-shaped perhaps. (laughs) And that is certainly something that a lot of people are thinking about. So, While all of that speculation is rumbling on, we also got an investor update saying that the company is intending to spend a huge amount, I'm talking $60 billion, on improving its theme parks, creating new theme parks, because that's a giant free advert for Disney. It brings people to the worlds maybe they've entered that world because they've seen a film and then they come to a theme park and then they want to see the film on Disney streaming services or they want to watch the series on Disney streaming services so it's all very much part of a homogenous whole but as ever with these things the prospect of spending that huge amount of cash Even if we've seen in the past that where cash has been spent on improving theme parks, it's then generated more people through the doors, investors still get nervous when you're talking about that huge amount of spend, and we did see shares coming down immediately off the back of that. But, you know, I mean, Disney is just a massive company, and when it starts talking about linear television in the way that it has been, it does... Create nervousness within other linear TV empires, and it does, of course, get us talking about the future of linear television. I mean, when was the last time you watched just tele, not something on a streaming platform, but live telly, Dan, do you
1: know what? It was last night. <laughs> it was um, it was really weird. You asked that question because over the last sort of two three nights, I thought. I'm just going to see what's on and I, and I I, just, I know I'm watching absolute rubbish. There's all like, you know, trying to, <laughs> um, you know, people like trying to, you know, pan for gold in Australia or, or like build log cabins in Alaska and stuff. But I don't know that I, I can find something to watch. Um, and I did think to myself, well, this is just, because I, I'm, I'm pretty exhausted with some of the stuff on on sort of streaming channels. I just, sometimes it's nice to just go back and you watch the next day, the next day you watch the same, the next episode, the same thing. And um, there's a bit of comfort in that, but yeah, you're right. You know, the the world is changing. The way we consume things has changed. Um, And it's natural to see companies sort of shift and see themselves in the modern world. But I think with Disney, what the interesting thing is, if you go back, I don't know, three years, lots of song and dance about how great Disney Plus is, well, all the talk is now of investing in its theme parks. You kind of think, okay, that says a lot about um, you know, the streaming side of things. It clearly is the future is back into into parks again, isn't it?
0: Yeah, well, it adds to the opportunity to create revenue for streaming services. I think very much it all goes hand in hand. And the one thing that Disney has always been brilliant at is selling the story, selling the fairy tale, getting you to buy in to the whole experience, whether it's, you know, buying the um, T-shirt that goes with the film or the doll or anything like that. They're really good at that sort of joined up thinking. So um, I think they have one eye on streaming while they're spending this cash on theme parks because, you know, Bob Agar has said he's determined to make streaming profitable, but that is a pretty big ask.
1: Yeah. So just before we bring on our uh, guest interview this week, I thought I just wanted to quickly mention about uranium prices. Um, it's probably not something that, that the average person keeps their eye on, but it's, it is really interesting if you want to sort of get an understanding of what's happening in the energy space. So um, uranium prices are at 12 year high now. They've gone up more than 12% over the last month alone. And this is all coming from increased demand from, from governments around the world who want energy security. So, um, they've been extending the life of, of you know, existing plants, looking to buy new ones. Of course, if you go back to the, the Fukushima disaster in Japan, where uh, you know lots of people looked at the nuclear industry and went, "Oh crikey, you know it's, it's high risk here," and so there was a real sharp slowdown in sort of new uranium mines being developed. Um, then you had like Japan and Germany decommissioning nuclear fleets. So all that sort of brought the price down. Now it's going back up and it, and it's quite, and if you follow the commodity sector, it, it's definitely, you've not been looking at uranium. Um, it definitely one to keep your eye on here. There's suggestions that prices could still go up quite a lot because there's supply constraints. Um, there's been some issues in Canada and Kazakhstan, which are sort of some of the places that you get that the big supplies of uranium from, um, and I think normally when you see prices go up, you get mining companies rushed to um, invest in projects or, or look at things that weren't economic before but i'm just reading some analysts comment about it and they think that the price still needs to be way higher before we sort of get this incentive to do new supplies so um there's a couple of uh, sort of funds investment trusts on the stock market that track uranium price will have exposure um the sprot uranium miners etf and something called yellowcake they're both up 40% year to date so um yeah, exciting. If you like Monty Space or if you think I'm being far too far too niche here, don't worry, move on. And Danny's got some really interesting news um, now to talk about about the state of the IPO market.
0: Yeah. There, there are not many podcasts, Dan, where we can go from Disney Princesses to Uranium, to be fair, <laughs> are there? And then hop off to IPOs. Um, because... It, we have had a rather spectacular debut from ARM after all the toing and froing. Would it have a dual listing in the UK? Would it just go for a US listing? And that, in the end, is what it went for. Um, but after that, there's now been news that another UK tech company, Imagination Technologies, is also looking to make its market return away from london which of course fires a few warning signs again
1: yeah i mean there's been sort of reforms discussed about sort of um how how can they sort of boost the number of companies listing in london but um i guess it's a big question about whether these reforms will make a big difference so danny has been chatting to neil shah director of research from edison about these reforms and what he thinks investors should be considering as a year winds down
0: Neil, there's so much to talk about when we're looking at markets as a whole. We're heading all now towards the back end of the year. Is there one thing in particular that you think that investors need to keep a close eye on?
2: Well, I think I think it's a tricky time. Generally, Um, we are you know we're dealing with a number of sort of big issues. So have rates peaked? And uh, while it looks like they have, um, at the same time, there is, you know, the, the risk that inflation is persistent. You're seeing the wage price inflation coming through. And so do you see that continuing? And certainly, you know, it, it's, I can see the headline numbers are, are sort of softening and coming down. But do they get to the levels of the, that central banks are sort of targeting? That's one thing to, to think about. The other thing to think about is, um, you know, what's the growth environment next year going to look like? And, you know, ev- eventually, you know, the costs, uh, the, co- the increasing costs that we've seen the, f- the increasing financing costs that we've seen coming through in 2023, I think have got to have an impact in terms of slowing the brakes, uh, on economic growth. And it's, it, the question is, um, you know, what, what magnitude of severity is that sort of slowdown? Um, and I, I do get signs that, you know, the consumer is, you know, they, they're getting in towards the end of their savings pots, that the buffers are ending. And so I think, um, you know, we'll start to see a little bit of that impact in the growth numbers for 2024. And, uh, you know, I, I think there's, there is, of course, everyone was thinking that we'd be in recession right now. We're not. Um, so there's, there's a little bit of wait and see as to how we deal with that. And then um, there's the unknown of what is going on in China and the risk of um, actually, you know, that market slowing down and that market starting to export deflation uh, into into other markets, which, which, again, I think people managing equities need to sort of bear in mind. So, I mean, on, you know, the typical approach that I think I've seen people adopt as we go into next year is is something of a barbell approach on the one hand there are some um I, I'd say on one end of the barbell is the sort of defensives uh the consumer staples um the the yeah yeah high income yielding safe stocks the other end of the barbell is is it's the same old game which is um they're still exposed to high growth tech names because you know if you're if you're moving to a slowing uh economy you still want to be in those companies that are delivering growth um and and you know people are avoiding the cyclicals for the time being um there'll be a time to rotate into them but i think that that's the kind of positioning that 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 i'm sort of picking up as to a sensible strategy for navigating what i think is a quite tricky period
0: Deflation is not a word that we've heard a lot of over the last couple of years. And I want to talk more about China. But just taking a look at how markets have performed year to date, I mean, they have been incredibly resilient. So FTSE up just over 3%. Um, The Nasdaq, you were just talking about growth stocks, up 31% um, year to date. Do you think that there is a bit of investors had expected a recession? They had priced in a recession. That hasn't emerged so far. Do you think maybe there's sort of almost a bit of the boy who cried wolf where it didn't happen, so it's not going to happen?
2: I, mean, I think, I think this, people are still wary uh, of the fact that it could happen um what's contributed to that outperform or the performance of the market? So cast your boy eye back to sort of November last year and yeah you know, there were concerns about the the fact that we're about to move into a raising right cycle uh, rate cycle that that the cost inflation was starting to come through And actually you know a lot of the markets fared better than expected in terms of delivering economic growth you know the, the energy crisis that people were expecting in Europe. Uh, didn't materialize for instance and actually European markets really sort of rallied hard on the, the start of the years and that that was really because companies started reporting better than expected numbers or more optimistic outlooks than a lot of investors uh, were anticipating. I've certainly sensed um, that there has been a little bit more of a slowdown as we've moved into the sort of second half of this year and um, so, as you're looking at sort of company announcements, you will you will pick up that tone of, you know, suddenly there were a couple of months, particularly in the sort of industrial side of things, that things slowed down quite considerably. Um, and and so I think I think uh, there is still a sense of sense of caution within um, a lot of investors. I don't think anyone is sort of you know betting the house that that next year we're going to see gangbuster growth. So, I, 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 but I think it's it's in the debate. The the debate is going to be, we feel like we're getting to the end of the rate cycle. Um, the real question is, do we see you know a muted downturn in growth, or do you see something harder uh, in terms of uh, a downturn? And I think I think right now we're, we're we're betting on it's it's a soft landing. That's what markets seem to be telling us. So. Th- the risks are definitely to the downside. I think you've got to be participating in the market. Um, otherwise, you know, you would have missed that 30% outperformance of the NASDAQ, and the, the, you know, the, the upside that you saw in the European markets. Um, so I think you want to stay involved. It's just, as I, I said, that the way you want to stay involved is, is probably take a sort of barbell branch, be, have some defences, but also be exposed to some of those sort of growth names.
0: And I would imagine some investors are also rotating out of markets because they were the only game in town for a while. Now we've got interest rates much better. So, you know, there are other places for people to put their money and that has to start to have an impact as well.
2: Yeah, I mean, if you look at the flow index, the flow numbers, you've certainly seen it in terms of, you know, equity markets have, I think you've seen withdrawals from some of the sort of developed market, uh, developed equity markets going into bond funds. Uh, people are participating on that side of uh, side of that, the market. It, it's still, I still think that, that you know you can make very good returns out the equity market. It's, it, but it is a stock pickers game. It's no longer the case that you know you can buy S and P the ETF for the S and P and 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 do well. I think it's more challenging that when I look forward.
0: I want to talk um, a bit more about China because you use the word deflation. And, you know, the only thing that we've been talking about the last couple of years is inflation. But clearly, there are big concerns about China's growth trajectory. And, you know, start of the year, zero COVID policy ended, the expectation was that China would storm out of the gates. And that hasn't happened. And there are big concerns that what's going on in the property market will only serve to slow things down further.
2: Yeah. So, um, you know, China is evolving uh, to a consumer led economy. And we'll start with the property side of things. Um, So, you know, this, this, over the last, you know, two decades, you have seen this extraordinary boom in China. And that's led to this sort of you know, demand for materials, which we will, you know, all commodity producing nations have benefited from. Um, and it's spurred on global growth. Now, as, we, as the brakes get put on, um, firstly, you know, it's going to constrain the Chinese banks in terms of, you know, the asset side of the balance sheet. Means there is more bad loans. Um, they're going to be more cautious, etc. Um, and um, you know, it's also to a certain extent some caution on the the, the liability side, which is um, depositors are concerned about. You know, the health of the of Chinese banks. The really difficult thing about China, and I, I'm not alone in saying this, is that is you know they've stopped providing um, certain. Data, etc. It's becoming much more opaque and transparent in terms of what is going on there, which makes me nervous. So, I mean, I think I think that the you know the risk is that the, the, the you know the, the Chinese consumer story doesn't take off, um, and China being such a big contributor, effectively in terms of you know, growth, leads to effectively inex an excess of, of supply to demand and that inevitably leads to the sort of low prices that you you tend to see so and there is also you know that the the effects of you know the the currency uh, uh, sort of go devaluing and, and them exporting effectively that deflation uh, to, to other markets so so it is it's a concern it's a risk I think that you've got to um, keep an eye out. Uh, I don't think I don't think we're seeing the effects of it yet in any shape or form. I mean, if anything, we're still seeing you know some pretty rich inflation numbers in in our markets. So I don't I think that there is at least a little bit of a buffer before that becomes an issue. But it it remains something that I think everyone needs to be vigilant for. And you know, deflationary markets are definitely not a good place to be if, if when you are investing, right? So um it's an it's an area just to keep an eye on um hopefully we'll ride through that over the next 24 months
0: getting a decent return is something that investors look at it's also something that companies clearly are looking at when they are floating on stock markets we've just had arms ipo london went all out to court ARM um, SoftBank they wanted ARM um, at least to have a dual listing in London that didn't happen what can London do to attract those kind of companies because with ARM's success we're now seeing other companies like Imagination Technologies thinking right New York's the place for me
2: yeah I mean it's a it's a it, it's a really good question, and um something that I think uh, if you look at you know the work that's sort of coming out of Treasury, mm-hmm. uh, you know the Manchinau speech, there is a package of reforms that are being put in place to try and address this. It matters a lot um, mm-hmm. in terms of having a, a successful functioning stock market. Um, because, you know, there's, there's lots of academic studies that show you that if you've got, um, you know, a successful market where companies can, you know, younger companies can come and IPO effectively, that that provides them the capital to grow. That leads to the, you know, the growth, the employment, the, the paying if your tax receipts, et cetera. Those are things that matter a lot. And, and you know, it comes back to that, age, the, the, the issues, I guess, this trust, outlined which is you, the uk's got a growth and productivity problem and this is one element that i think needs to be resolved um ultimately didn't list in the uk because of the, the more onerous reporting uh, requirements i think um those are being addressed in some of the listing reforms um but there's more that that that, that needs to be done and um you know i think i think to simplify it, um, you know what the, the government's tried to do is to, to make the UK market more attractive from a demand perspective, and there's a series of reforms going on on the pension side, which is going to start to earmark money back into the, the UK market from these you know very big pools of pension money. The other side of it is to try and up the level of information and education on um, these the, the companies on the market, and so uh, I was. I, I work in the research industry. I, I read the UK Investment Research Review by Rachel Kent in a, a great amount of detail, and I think it's it's a bold step. And I think that that's going to help um, you know make make our companies stand out a little bit more because there's going to be more information available um, on them, and and hopefully will attract more investors. Um, back into the market.
0: You said that um, reporting was one of the key reasons, but what you just touched on there, do you think that UK investors have the same kind of risk appetite? I mean, you know, you're talking about huge valuations in being achieved in New York and companies just Saying that they think that the money is there, that they think that the appetite is there in New York in a way that it just isn't in London.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, I think I, I, you know, it's it's been a long standing issue uh, for the London market. So, track back to, you know, a company like GW Pharma, um, which was listed on AIM. It was, you know, a pioneer in, um, uh, you know, Medicinal cannabinoids, it was hard work for them, and you know they went over to at a listed in the US, and I mean it was probably still hard work, but you know that, that company went from a fifty hundred million uh, pound valuation to a six hundred million dollar valuation relatively quickly, um, and and it ultimately got you know acquired by Jazz Pharmaceuticals. So it, and that's, this is you know this is not a story of the last two years. This is. You know, for the last decade, what I what I typically find is that so if I talk to a UK fund manager, they will take a look at a you know software as a service company, do their work on it, and then say, okay, well it's listed in the UK, and let's put a thirty percent discount to the US market, and that thirty percent discount is just you know it's an to me it's an arbitrary number. The I think when you go and meet investors in the US. Um, because of the critical mass they have in terms of the number of companies that they can invest in, they have very, very deep expertise in the different sectors uh, and a better understanding of how to evaluate and value those companies, um, which I think we don't have that same critical mass over here. Um, And I I think that that, to a certain extent, leads to... um, a difference in approach in terms of looking at the company? So examples might be that um, for a software as a service company, if you go and talk to a U.S. investor, um, they will typically not focus on the kind of metrics, the general metrics that we tend to look at, an EP, or or a, a P multiple. A software as a service business is investing today for future revenue streams. And so they tend to look at, you know, cost of acquiring customers, average lifetime, value of those customers, a very different set of metrics to try and understand, you know, the value of those businesses. And, and they are afforded uh, better valuations. I also think that, that, you know, there is a, you know, I think, I think the fact that Arm, you know, did well on debut is something interesting. Um, so there's this idea of the first day pop, right, is a bad thing. Actually, I don't think. I mean, you know, i I don't think it is. Um, if you have a look at the, we did, we've done some work on the um, performance of all those companies that came to market post um, pandemic. So we were looking at you know, two thousand one, two thousand and two, and you know, the signal to any investor would have been if you you shouldn't participate in new issues because the performance generally has been terrible. That cohort, I I don't have the stats in front of me, but something like 80% of them are dwarves. Um, 50% of them are down more than 50%. And, you know, a handful of them, like make.com, don't exist anymore. Um, You know, and I and so I think, I think it's it's it, you know I, I, I attended a conference uh, recently where Andy Bruff was talking and he, he, he gave the analogy of you know when you go to a party everyone needs to come away with a balloon right <laughs> and then he said well I didn't get a balloon so I'm not I'm not playing I'm not coming anymore uh, and it, it made me laugh but it, I think it you know it is one of those things that that these things work on the basis of of trust if you you know I I talked to um, yeah, I guess the, the veteran fund managers, people who've been around the block for a while, and you know the the, the, the if you talk to someone uh, about you know how it used to be, they used to buy IPOs out of Kaznov because they felt that Kaznov you know vetted those companies properly, that you know, they did their due diligence, and that they priced it appropriately, so there was enough left on the table. And I think that there is this mindset shift that needs to take place in terms of you know the sponsors of those IPOs, the people bringing those IPOs to market, um, and, and, and you know making sure that they, that they perform well in the aftermarket. Otherwise, then guess what? Everyone's going to go and list every, uh, elsewhere. So I think the UK has got some work to do in terms of rebuilding its trust with its
1: investment community,
2: et cetera. I do think the reforms are good, that they will stimulate... Um, you know, more activity in the UK market um, yeah. over time. And I do think that the pension fund, you know, creating this pool of, of permanent capital, effectively, through the pension fund reforms, I think is going to be interesting for the UK market because you've seen where that's happened in other markets, Australia, um, you know, Israel. It's led to, you know, a buoyant market, market. And, and, you know, we still look at the UK market compared to other markets, and it's cheap. It is. It's on a discount to most other markets. And at some point, that's going to change,
0: I think. Neil, I could keep talking to you for ages. It's been absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much for your time.
1: Pleasure. Thanks very much. So that was Neil Shaw, Director of Research at Edison Group, talking to Danny. Now, for all the talk of property prices, which is, you know, still the number one um, discussion at the dinner table, isn't it? So we all know that property prices have been weak, but actually rental prices have been rising at their fastest rate for nine years. So the estate agency Hamptons has done some research and it says the cost of renting a home rose by 12% in the year to August. Um, I mean, that's, that's quite incredible. That's the rise over that period was more than we saw over the four years to 2019 so if you're a landlord you're facing the pressure of higher mortgage rates Um, to get things repaired in in flats or homes it's definitely been more expensive over the last year but at the same time there's been lots of people who say they just can't afford to to buy a house so we've had this increase demand from tenants of course this is pushing up rental costs and and, um you know i'm sure danny you've seen these stories on the news where 20 30 people are are queuing down the road to view a property i mean this is
0: yeah (laughs) or just deciding that they want to go and and have the property without even taking a look for it the second that it goes on the market because they're so worried that otherwise it'd be gone Yeah,
1: so I mean, if you go back to twenty nineteen, Right Moves, the property portal said there's there's about an average of six requests for each property that was available to let. Now, since then, the figures are more than tripled, Um, and of course, if, if you're on the other end of it, if you're actually trying to rent this home, it's incredibly stressful, and it only seems to be sort of getting worse. Now, I've I've heard stories about cooperatives where. Um, people get together they sort of they, they create a, a sort of a non profit corporation and they, they they buy shares in it um, and then depending on the number of shares they own they get they get the exclusive right to occupy a unit so there 's about nine hundred of these sort of cooperative organizations over the u k now you could argue that in this situation, these people are lucky. There are others who are not lucky, and this this sort of in, rapid increase in the in the cost of renting is having some very negative consequences.
0: Yeah, it is. So there was a story in the Financial Times a couple of days ago, um, taking a look at the impact that a lack of rental property and those huge rental price increases were having on the number of people who were homeless. And that story focused on Oldham, which is not too far away from where I am. And it found that Oldham had a homeless rate of twice the national average with an 80% year-on-year increase between January and April. And when we were coming out of covid There was a lot of discussion about what recovery would look like. And a lot of people were really concerned that there would be a K-shaped recovery. So people that were still able to work during COVID would do very well, thank you very much. And those people who were off on furlough or who weren't able to work would really struggle. And I think there's a K-shaped cost of living crisis here as well, because competition in the rental sector is incredibly fierce, particularly at the bottom end. There is a chronic lack of social housing, which means that the safety net just isn't there anymore. And we're seeing landlords, more and more of them, getting out of the market. And in fact, the number of households made homeless as a result of landlords selling up jumped 27% from the previous year, according to government data. Now, the National Residential Landlords Association said that lack of homes is the problem. And lack of homes is just generally a problem, isn't it? When we talk about the housing market, it is a lack of homes, but particularly a lack of affordable homes. And the government has said, look, you know, we've given £2 billion to councils over the last years to help deal with homelessness. But this is something which is just getting worse. And one of the stats which just absolutely tore at my heart was the number of kids in temporary accommodation was up 10% year on year in the first three months of the year. Because of course, when we are talking about households, we're not just talking about adults. And when you are talking about households that are forced out of their homes because they can't pay the rent or they're forced out of their homes because their landlord can't pay the mortgage, often that includes kids as well. So I think the housing market is going to be something which is going to be discussed a whole lot as we get into party conference season.
1: Now, before we go, we just want to talk briefly about some major changes to auto enrolment rules. This is all about your workplace pension.
0: This is great, and there have been calls for this to happen for years and years and years. And, in fact, back in 2017, the government said it would make fundamental changes to lower the age limit to 18 from 22 and count from the very first pound of earnings, which, of course, it doesn't do at the moment. And that pensions bill has now received royal assent. And potentially, that has the potential to make a huge impact on our ability to save for a pension. So the reckoning is Rachel Vay of our merry band um, has been looking at this and removing the lower earning bands of 6,240 quid means it would increase contributions by just under £500 a year for most auto-enrolment pension savers. So that potentially can boost a pension pot by £120,000 over the course of a 50-year career, thanks to the wonder that is compound interest. We always talk about the fact that you need to get started as early as you can, put in as much as you can. And auto enrollment has been a massive game changer for our whole pensions arena. But by lowering the age, by letting people start saving at 18, it sort of makes saving for a pension just part of working life. Because having that gap, then at 22, you were like, oh, what am I doing? What am I having to pay for? Whereas now, you will just start to do it. You will just get used to it. And of course, you also get cash from your employer. You get cash from the government. So it just means that t- teeny, teeny, tiny acorn that you start when you are 18 years old. By the time you hit 65, 67, or whatever it is, when kids at 18 now are going to be able to retire, it could be a really much improved pot size than the pot size that they would have been looking at without this change.
1: So that's everything for this week. We've got Tom Selby on the show next week. He'll be doing his pensions corner. Um, I'm sure he'll have some more good things to say about saving for retirement or even managing your money after you finish working.
0: We'll also be digging a bit further into what investors should be considering when it comes to China with our special guest from Aberdeen. And if you're interested in the gender investment gap and tips to narrow it, do check out our Money Matters website, ajbellmoneymatters.co.uk. And if you're in the Leeds area, you might be interested in a special in-person event we're hosting on the evening of the 18th of October with the campaign's founding ambassador, baroness helena morrissey all the details are on the website
1: now until next week thank you very much for listening
0: before you go please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and the views expressed don't necessarily reflect those of aj Bell or shares magazine the podcast isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not and don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it It's also important to remember that tax rules apply and that the way an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor.